Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, The Second Coming of Christ. All right, so last week, if you were with us, you know that we began to study this fascinating discourse by Jesus called the Olivet Discourse. And so that message that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago on the Mount of Olives was all about the coming apocalypse, a period in the future that's known as the tribulation. The Apostle Paul in his letters had a lot to say about the tribulation, also known as the day of the Lord. He told the church at Thessalonica, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the what? The day of the Lord, the coming tribulation, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so before the tribulation, the day of the Lord, the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, whatever biblical term you wanna use for it, before that comes on the world, there's gonna be a time of global peace, a time of, of global security. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 that during that time, there's gonna be eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, and people will be getting married and giving their daughters to marriage. But then, as, as life is just going on as normal, as usual, sudden destruction will come upon them all. Before the tribulation begins, it's gonna be a time of, 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 of peace, security. The economy's great, everything's wonderful. I love my life, this is amazing. But, but then look what Paul says under the inspiration of the Spirit. Let's go back one Let's go back to that, okay? So while people are saying peace and security, right, everything's great, then sudden destruction will come upon who? What's the next word? Them. them. Now just pause for a minute and let God's word speak to you. Then sudden destruction will come upon them. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the church. Everybody say church. church. The church of Thessalonica like the church right here gathered together 2,000 years later. And yet he doesn't say then, and this is the context of the day of the Lord, this is the context of the tribulation. He doesn't say then sudden destruction will come upon us, the church, no, no, no. He says then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so what I want to share with you uh, at the beginning of the message, but I'll teach on it at the end, is that it's been my biblical conviction for 30 plus years that we, the true church, will not be here during the tribulation period. And so we'll talk about that at the end of the message, but setting the rapture of the church aside, what event will take place that's gonna kick off the tribulation period? Now we see in Daniel 9, 27. Okay, so we look for answers in God's word. What event is gonna take place? It's gonna kick off the tribulation period. We saw this last week. Then he, the Antichrist, 
will confirm a covenant, that's a peace treaty, with many, that's Israel and her neighbors, for how long? One what? Seven, in the eschatological context there, it's not seven days, it's seven years. This is what's called the 70th week of Daniel, and it's a seven-year period, um, and the, the Hebrew word there is Shavuot, and speaking of seven years. And so the signing of a seven-year Middle East peace treaty is what is gonna kick off the tribulation period. Now you need to know that the signing of that treaty between the coming world dictator, Antichrist, Israel, her, her enemies, her neighbors, the signing of that seven-year Middle East peace treaty can be likened to a pregnant woman's water breaking. And so typically, after a woman's water breaks, labor follows. And what happens? The, the, the lady's contractions, we saw this last week, increase in frequency and intensity until toward the end, it's at an almost unbearable level. And so in the same way, the signing of this treaty is gonna kick off the labor pains of seven years that are coming upon this world. And those labor pains, those cataclysmic events are gonna increase in frequency and intensity. Those cataclysmic events that are described by Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, in the book of Revelation, they will increase in frequency and intensity until the world cries out in pain. And so last week we looked at the, the, the contractions of the first half of the tribulation period, the, the milder contractions, if you will. And then we saw that big contraction right in the middle of the seven years, three and a half years into it, called the abomination of desolation. I'm not gonna go back and re-preach the sermon. You can go back and listen to it to find out what that means. And then finally, we discussed the unbearable contractions of the second half of the tribulation period, uh, specifically the, the seven bowl judgments that are gonna happen right before the Lord comes back. And so contraction after contraction, cataclysmic event after cataclysmic event will be experienced by the world. And concerning that time, that second half of the tribulation period, Jesus said by way of review, Please look at Mark 13, 19. Mark 13, 19. He says, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. According to Jesus Christ, and he knows a lot about this stuff, this will be the worst time that humanity has ever experienced. Verse 20, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, no human being would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And so if God had not cut short what's known as the great tribulation, the last half of the tribulation period, if God had not cut short that period to three and a half years, which is 42 months, which is 1,260 days, if God had not sovereignly cut short those days, nobody on planet earth would even survive. That's how bad it's gonna be. And so now we pick it up today in verse 24. And so if you're looking at Mark 13, 24, just say amen. 
I hope we all have our Bibles and we're looking at the word of God. But in those days, after that tribulation, okay, so we're at the end of the tribulation here, the end of the seven years, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And so right now we are at the end of the tribulation period, right before the second coming of Christ. And Jesus said that certain astronomical anomalies, certain cosmic catastrophes are going to occur right before he comes back. And it's interesting, what we just read uh, corresponds perfectly with the opening of the sixth seal in Revelation chapter six. Now, now, Everybody uh, look at me for a minute. You remember in the book of Revelation, we, we taught through the whole thing last year. The, the contractions, the cataclysmic events are the seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. Well, the sixth seal overlaps the trumpet judgments and six of the bowl judgments. And so let's see what John has to say about the opening of this sixth seal. Remember, we're at the very end of the tribulation here. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. Okay, that's John's words in the book of Revelation. This is the vision that he saw concerning the end of the tribulation, that the sun will become black as sackcloth. Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse, we just read it in verse 24, he said, the sun will be darkened. John says, and the full moon became like blood. Jesus said, the moon will not give its light. John goes on to say, and the stars, asters of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Jesus said, the stars will fall from heaven. Now, if you weren't with us last year as we went through the book of Revelation, you need to know that this is not literal stars, okay? If a literal star even came near to the planet Earth, we'd all be incinerated and we would all die. The, the original word is aster, which, which uh, refers to any celestial body, and so scholars believe this is a meteor shower that's occurring at the end of the tribulation period. John says in the middle of the screen, the sky vanished, can you imagine? The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. And so Jesus, in reference to that, said the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And no, notice this now, and how many mountains? Every mountain, this is truly the end of the world right here. And every mountain, an island, was removed from its place. What in the world can cause every mountain and every island to be removed from its place? And that's the seventh bold judgment. We talked about it last week. It is the great earthquake, the mother of all earthquakes that's gonna come down upon the world. Dr. Henry Morris, who is a, he's with the Lord now, he's a creation scientist. He wrote about this great earthquake and I quote, the great earthquake described here for the first time in history is worldwide in scope. The vast worldwide network of unstable earthquake belts around the world suddenly will begin to slip and fracture on a global basis and a gigantic earthquake will ensue. 
This is evidently and naturally accompanied by tremendous volcanic eruptions spewing vast quantities of dust and steam and gases into the upper atmosphere. And so the, 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 the mother of all earthquakes, the end of the world, the end of the tribulation, the earth is shaking. That's gonna cause volcanoes all around the world to erupt and that's gonna cause smoke and ash and debris to be spewed up into the upper atmosphere. This is what I personally believe causes the sun to go dark and the moon to have a blood red shade. And I want you to imagine the scene. Again, we're at the very end here and the armies of the east and the west are converging upon northern Israel Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. If you go with us to Israel, we'll take you to Mount Carmel. We'll stand on Mount Carmel. I've seen it four times. We'll look over this massive, large, huge valley called the Valley of Megiddo where these, this battle will take place. And so the armies are converging, I believe, as I said last week, limping because of all the cataclysmic events down into the valley of Megiddo. As that occurs, the, the, the earth begins to shake. Volcanoes begin to erupt. The sun goes dark. The, blue, the, the, the moon looks like a, a blood red shade. Meteors begin to fall. The sky recedes. And then it finally happens. Look at verse 26. <coughs> and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. I don't believe literal clouds there. I think it's the Shekinah glory cloud. You say, why do you believe it's the Shekinah glory cloud? Because of the rest of the verse. Coming in the clouds with great power and what? Glory. glory. Finally, Jesus comes back. John describes it like this from Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you know why he gets to come back and take back what is his? Do you know why he gets to make war? Do you know why he gets to tread upon the winepress of the wrath and fury of Almighty God? Do you know why he gets to put away sin and usher in righteousness? Here's why, because he's king of all kings and he's Lord of all lords. He can do whatever he wants to do. We either submit to that or ladies and gentlemen, we're crushed. We didn't think up ourselves. We didn't create ourselves. What are we doing? Living for ourselves. We have no right. 
to usurp the authority that God has and rule over ourselves. We need to come to a place in our lives where we submit willingly to the King of all kings and the Lord of lords so that we are not forced to bow a knee when he returns in the future. He says now in verse 27, after he comes back, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, to the ends of heaven. So after Christ defeats his enemies at Armageddon, he's gonna send out his angels to gather his elect from earth and heaven. This is very interesting, earth and heaven. And so uh, one of my favorite commentators, John MacArthur, wrote this about the gathering of the elect. He said the elect will include the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. You guys remember them? Their converts, which by the way, you can't even number the number of people they went to the Lord during that seven years. It's gonna be amazing revival. And the converts of the angelic preachers, those angels flying around the earth. That's how much God loves humanity. That's how much God wants people to repent. He even sends angels at the end time to share the gospel. And they will include, here's the heaven part, so, God, so the, the Lord is sending out his angels, they're gathering his elect from the earth, but also from the heaven. MacArthur says they will also include Old Testament saints, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, gathered out of their graves and united with their redeemed spirits. None of the elect on earth or in heaven will miss entering the what? the kingdom. And so at the end of the tribulation period, finally the labor pains stop. At the end of the tribulation period, finally Jesus returns in the same way that he left, literally, physically. At the end of the tribulation, finally the elect of God are gathered from the four winds. And then at the end of the tribulation, finally the kingdom of God is born upon the earth. When that happens, ladies and gentlemen, when that happens, the labor pains, the sorrow, the heartache of the last seven years will be forgotten. It'll be swallowed up in a global celebration. You talking about you know, how excited we get as we're singing four songs at the beginning of a service. We're talking about when Jesus lands on the Mount of Olives as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, what's gonna ensue is a global celebration of those who have submitted their wills to Christ, of those who recognize his authority to reign. And there's gonna be a worldwide party that's gonna cause all the pain and all the heartache and all the troubles and trials to absolutely be forgotten. I'm excited about that day because every single day I go to my news app on my smartphone and I look at one bad news article after another bad news article. And I, I tell you, I'm really sick of it. I'm sick of the murder and the rape and the kidnapping and the, the drug use and the gang violence and the schools being shot up. And what's gonna happen is on that day when Jesus comes back, when you take your smartphone and you look at your app, this is what the headlines are gonna be right here. The kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world. Can you see it? in all capital letters on your news app, the kingdom of this world has finally become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's gonna be a great day. He's gonna rule with a rod of iron. 
What does that mean? That means that this, this, this whole thing of, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do, and you can't stop me, I'm gonna live however I wanna live, that's done. Depraved man and depraved sick sin is done because Jesus has arrived. And so Jesus shared this message right before the Passover. So this is Passover week where we are in the Bible, which occurs in the spring. That's late March, early April. And so what's going on in the spring in Israel? Well, as Jesus is teaching this discourse, the fig trees are sprouting leaves. So what does Jesus do, the master teacher? What he does is what he always does in his teachings. He uses illustrations from nature in order to drive home his points in his message. So now we're in verse 28, just taking it verse by verse. So look at verse 28, please. He says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as his branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see, what's the next two words? These things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. And so what was the Lord referring to when he said, when you see these things? What he was referring to were the signs that he just taught, the signs of the first half of the tribulation, which is false messiahs, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, persecution, martyrdom of tribulation saints. When he says, when you see these things, he's talking about that big sign right in the middle called the abomination of desolation. When he says these things, he's talking about the signs of the second half of the tribulation, the sun going dark, the moon appearing blood red, meteors coming down, the sky receding. When he says these things, when you see these things taking place, these signs, hey, just know I'm right at the gate. Can you see Jesus at the gate getting ready to come in? Okay, look at verse 30. Truly I say to you, <clears throat> This generation, everybody say, this generation, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And by the way, if you're here today, I hope, I hope this is not your hard attitude, but if you're here today and you think, you know, what a bunch of nonsense, I don't buy into all this end time stuff, just, just look at verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Everything Jesus is saying about the end of the world, you can mark it down, it will happen. And so I wanna focus on verse 30 for a couple minutes here. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What generation will not pass away until all these things take place? Well, evangelicals, guys like me, usually have four different interpretations of this. And so some evangelicals say that when Jesus said, this generation will not pass away, he was talking about the generation of his own day. And so disciples sitting next to me on the Mount of Olives, your generation will not pass away until all these things take place. 
And there are some in the church today that say, yeah, they saw the temple be destroyed. Jesus said that would happen. And so that's what Jesus was saying. And I, I would say I, I respectfully disagree because they didn't see, Jesus' generation didn't see the abomination of desolation. They didn't see some world dictator call himself God in the Jewish temple. They didn't see all the astronomical anomalies and cosmic catastrophes, all these different signs. And so we rule out, number one, other evangelicals say, well, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place is the generation that was alive in 1948. You guys remember what happened in 1948? Yeah, yeah. And you know, some, some, some of you young people uh, really want you to know that Israel has not been a nation for the last 2,000 years. They were out of their land for 1,800 years. And in fulfillment of prophecy, a modern-day miracle took place after World War II. And the United Nations recognized them as a nation, and the modern state of Israel was reborn. And so advocates of number two, they say this. And this is guys that I... I respect you know some of their names. They say that the, the generation that saw the fig tree bud, because the fig tree in scripture symbolizes Israel. And so the, the, the generation that sees the fig tree bud, the, the generation that sees Israel become a nation will not pass away until all the things that we read about in the Olivet Discourse take place. And so while I, while I agree that the modern state of Israel is a modern day miracle. It's, it has set the stage for end time events. I, I, I respectfully disagree with number two as well. And the reason I disagree with it is because Luke, right? Luke was a historian. He interviewed many people. He wrote his gospel. And he recorded Jesus in a parallel passage say, and I quote Luke 21, 29, look at the fig tree and all the trees. You, you, are you guys listening to me? Look at the, not just the fig tree, but all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and know that summer is near. And so the fact that Jesus said, look at all the trees and not just the fig tree tells me that he wasn't pointing specifically at Israel uh, concerning the generation that would not pass away. Others believe that this generation is talking about the Jewish race. And by the way, that makes a lot of sense when you look at the word in the original language. And so when you look at the word generation in Greek, here's what you see. If you're taking notes, we'll put it on the screen here. But generation means that which has been begotten, men of the same stock, a what? A family. And so advocates of this position say when, and by the way, Charles Ryrie, the, I'm always pushing his study Bible, is awesome. He takes this position. He says that when Jesus said, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place, he was saying this family, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will not pass away till all these things take place. And, and that makes sense. Ladies and gentlemen, God has preserved his people for four thousand years against all odds. I mean, come on. Where are the Girgashites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Termites and all these people <laughs> that you read about for those of you who are having your devotions in the Old Testament? Where are these, where are these nations? They don't exist. 
Where are the Israelites? They're in the news every single day. God has preserved his people, why? Because the Abrahamic covenant is an eternal covenant. God has a special plan for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which include, thank God, one day their submission to Jesus as the son of David, as the Messiah. Now there's another position that makes a lot of sense. It's number four. Advocates of this position say when Jesus said this generation will not pass away till all these things are fulfilled, he meant the, ge the generation alive during the tribulation period, which seems to flow really good in the context. And so because the tribulation is only seven years long, those people who are there and they start seeing these signs that he talked about, they're not gonna pass away. It's only seven years until all these things take place. And so you have these four different opinions among good evangelical guys and, and ladies. And so which one is correct? And I would have to say it's gotta be a toss up between number three and number four. And by the way, those of you who believe in number two, um, don't send me an email, I'm not gonna change, okay? <laughs> I know you're really passionate because you, you know, you, a generation, is that 100 years, Pastor Mike? That means, wow, uh, that means that the two, um, 2048, he's gonna come back before then. And I, it makes me nervous, I don't set dates. And so I would say it's a toss up between number three and number four. And that's gonna be one of those hundred or so questions that we ask the Lord when we get to heaven. What were you really talking about? All right, so now we go to verse 32. This is the one you guys, some of you have been waiting for. But concerning that day or that hour, no one else knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so some people say, well, how can Jesus, who is God in the flesh, not know when he's gonna come back? And the answer of that, to that is that there's a right answer and a wrong answer, okay? So let me deal with the wrong answer first. Now this, I'll get a little dogmatic about this, very dogmatic, because we're talking about the doctrine of Christ. We're talking about the person of Christ. It doesn't get any more important than this right here. Okay, we can talk about what does this generation mean, okay, and have our different opinions, but this, this is important, ladies and gentlemen, so I hope you'll tune in right now. The wrong answer of how can Jesus not know is that in the incarnation, you guys know what the incarnation is, right? We're gonna celebrate in five weeks, and I hope you talk about Jesus in your house more than you talk about Santa Claus. Just saying. But in the incarnation, Christ gave up his divine attributes, including omniscience, the ability to know all things. That is a wrong answer. I've heard people say that. It's a wrong answer. It's a wrong answer because if Christ gave up divine attributes in the incarnation, then he, during the incarnation, would have become less God. And that is absolutely impossible. The incarnation did not involve the subtraction of divine attributes. When God became flesh, that did not involve the subtraction of divine attributes. The incarnation involved the addition of human attributes. And that's so good, I'm gonna say it again, and I hope you get this. The incarnation, God becoming man, did not involve the subtraction of divine attributes. It involved the addition of human attributes. That means that in the incarnation, the eternal 
Second person of the Trinity, the Christ. He added human, uh, human nature to his already eternal existing divine nature, which cannot change. To say that Jesus gave up his divine attributes in the incarnation is saying that the divine nature can change because the divine attributes are part of the divine nature. And so if you say to me, well, well, when Christ became a man, he gave up his divine attributes, I would say that's impossible because the divine eternal nature of God cannot change. If he gave up his divine attributes, that would violate his immutability. The, the doctrine of God's immutability means that he cannot change, okay? And so God is God. God is God before the incarnation. God is God during the incarnation. And God is God after the incarnation. And God is God right now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He cannot change. He's God. And man, this is so important. As I said a couple of weeks ago, 78% of the evangelical church has no clue what I'm talking about right now. So sad. Nothing's more important than this, who is Christ? So what's the right answer? Here's the right answer. As a man, Christ chose to veil, please say the word veil, his deity within his humanity and limit, please say the word limit, not give up, he didn't give up anything, and limit the use of some of his divine attributes some of the time. And so did Christ veil his deity and his humanity? Yes, do you guys remember the transfiguration? So Peter, James, John on Mount Hermon, fight and sleep. And all of a sudden they look up. What, what did they see? They saw Jesus and his face was shining like the sun. His robe was dazzling like lightning. What was Jesus doing? He was giving them a glimpse of his glory. He was peeling back the human nature and letting them see the divine nature. If the incarnation happened at night, we don't know when it happened, but if it happened at night, the glory of the, of the, of the divine Christ would have lit up half the mountain. And so Jesus did not become less God in the incarnation. He veiled his divinity within his humanity. He chose to limit the use of some of his divine attributes some of the time. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus walked around on the earth as a man, was he omnipotent? Was he all powerful? Yes or no? Help me out. Yes. Let's all say yes together. Ready? Go. Yes. <laughs> this is important. Lots of people talking lies and heresies. Yes. He was omnipotent when he was on this earth. Who else can stand up in a boat during a violent storm and speak a couple words and all of a sudden, peace be still, the turbulent sea of Galilee becomes a smooth sea of glass. No man can do that, only almighty God can do that. Was Jesus omniscient? Did he know all things as he walked around on the earth? Yes or no? Help me out. Yes. Let's all say yes together. Yes. yes. He knew all things. The gospels say he could read your mind. The gospel says that he knew when people died. He's walking along one day and he looks at his disciples and he says, Lazarus is dead. He just knew in his omniscience, Lazarus had just passed. Not only that, he told Peter, hey, Pete, I want you to go down to the Sea of Galilee and throw your 
net out and the first fish you find, cut it open. There's gonna be a coin in there. Go pay the temple tax. How did he know which of the thousands of fish there was a coin in? Of course he was omniscient. But here's what Jesus did. As a man, he veiled his deity within his humanity and he chose to limit using some of his divine attributes, some of the time. And so he knew it was the Father's will that nobody knows when he comes back. So what did Jesus do? Jesus submitted to his Father and he limited his knowledge of that event. And so ladies and gentlemen, if the Lord does not set dates for his return, we should not set dates for his return. That means Christian community, Stop making these guys who write these books rich. 88 reasons why Jesus, why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Anybody remember that? <laughs> Sold over 4 million copies. It's all a lie. It's all wrong. Okay, and so let's stop making these. Three things usually happen when these guys write these books. Number one, Christians freak out. Number two, the guy gets rich. And number three, Jesus does not return. <laughs> Don't set dates. All right, we're gonna read to the end of the chapter. I want you to ask you to please stay with me to the very end here. He says, but in verse 33, he says, be on guard, keep awake. Right, that right there is a word for somebody here. You'll get it in a minute. <laughs> Be on guard, keep awake, spiritually, just joking. For you do not know when the time will come. You don't know when the time will come. You don't know, it could be today. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, if he hasn't emphasized it enough, stay awake for you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening, midnight, when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, Jesus is really pounding this in, stay awake. Right? Okay, and so here's your point. Christ could come at any moment, so we got to stay awake and be ready for his return. Are you ready for his return? That's the question. And so some of you might be saying right now, well, Pastor, how can you say Christ will come at any moment? I thought the peace treaty has to be signed. I thought the abomination of desolation has to occur. I thought all the signs have to occur, and then he will come. You're right if you're talking about the second coming. I'm not talking about the second coming. I'm talking about the eminent rapture of the church. When you look at scripture, the New Testament, you see that the rapture and the second coming are absolutely distinct. Here's why I say that. If you're taking notes, check this out. The rapture will occur before the tribulation. The second coming will occur when? Next slide. The day of the rapture is a secret. Stop buying the books. It's a secret. The date of the second coming will not be a secret. Those who are alive, tribulation saints who are alive, and they see the Antichrist declare that he is God from the Jewish temple, 
they can start counting down 42 months, 1,260 days to the exact day of when Jesus is coming back. And so the rapture's a secret. The second coming for those alive during the tribulation is not gonna be a secret. Next slide. The rapture, Jesus will come as a groom to save his bride, the church. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, completely different than Revelation 19. The second coming when Jesus comes as a warrior to save his people, Israel. Next slide. At the rapture, Jesus will come for his saints. Second coming, scripture says that he comes with us. That's exciting. You and I are gonna be right behind him when he's coming back. And, and we'll not, here's the thing. We won't even have to lift a finger to, to, to fight. He'll, he'll take care of it all. And I know some of you right now are thinking, come on, really? I'm gonna be behind Jesus as he comes back. I can't wait. I'm gonna be on my horse. I'm gonna look over at you and say, see? <laughs> Told you. Let's go. Always doubting, doubting, doubting. Stop doubting. Start living for the Lord. <laughs> Next slide. At the rapture, Jesus comes to the clouds, puts on his brakes, snatches us up. At the second coming, he will come to the Mount of Olives all the way down and there will be a great earthquake. They're distinct. So just like Thanksgiving comes before Christmas, so the rapture comes before the second coming. By the way, have you guys noticed all the Christmas decorations are starting to go up? Some of you who love ho, 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 the, the season, you've already got your tree up, the house is decorated, Right, the mall's decorated. Santa Claus is waiting for your kids down at Treasure Coast Mall, right? Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, used to say this. He said, when you see Christmas decorations going up, you know Thanksgiving is near. <laughs> and so in the same way, when you see some of the signs of the second coming, I'm not talking about what we just read in the Olivet Discourse. That happens after the signing of the treaty. What I'm saying is the dawn of the nuclear age. Ladies and gentlemen, when you read some of the prophecies about the last seven years, there's no doubt nuclear warfare is happening on this planet. When you see the rapid increase of technology, I mean, come on, what other generation than ours? Making the global mark of the beast now a reality Revelation 13, right now, a global government can track every human being that was not possible in any previous generation. When you look at the emergence of a sodomite culture, Jesus says, as was the days of Lot, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. What was characteristic of the days of Lot? In your face, public homosexuality. We're there right now. When you see the alliance of Russia and Iran, I just read an article yesterday, their alliance is deepening. Ezekiel 38, 39, Magog, Persia, come together against Israel, according to Ezekiel, in the latter days. And the biggest sign of all, when you see the rebirth of Israel as a nation, that had to happen for any of these signs to come true. They're back in their land, they're there. The bones, have come together. We're waiting for the flesh 
to come on and we're waiting for the breath, the spirit to blow on in. Things are lining up for the second coming, which means the rapture could be closer than we think. And so in closing, you say, well, how do you know, pastor, for sure that we're not gonna be here? Here's why, last verse. Because God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you guys know the context of that verse is the day of the Lord? Did you know the context of that verse? Just a few verses before that, we read it earlier, where Paul says, while people are saying peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, not us, not the church, them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter five, verse three. Just a few verses later, now he's gonna talk about the church. He says, God has not destined us, excuse me, for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, stay with me here, this is the most important part of the message. Do you know why we're not destined for wrath? Because who took the wrath of God already on Calvary? The eternal Son of God. What husband ever pours out his wrath on his wife? We're the bride of Christ. Jesus paid for our sins, endured the wrath of God, and he will take us. He will get us home before the dark. And so maybe you're here today and you're far away from the Lord. You haven't been living for him. I would say today's the day to rededicate your life to living for Jesus Christ. Today's the day. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. You don't have a relationship with him. You have no idea where you're going when you die. I would say today is the day to receive him as your savior and Lord and get your sins forgiven and start walking in a relationship with him. And so if you're here today and you need to come back to the Lord, rededicate your life, or you need to come to the Lord, trust him as savior and, and Lord of your life, I'm gonna ask you to just publicly stand up right now whoever you are around the building, just stand up, don't be afraid, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed of Jesus Christ. You say, I need to come back to him, I need to come to him. I'm gonna ask you to just make it public, stand up to your feet. No one's doing this to you. We're gonna applaud you and encourage you. Just stand to your feet, whoever you are. God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you and you. Just stand up, whoever you are. Today's the day, right now, to give your life to Christ. Nothing's more important than this, right now. Stop resisting the Lord. Submit to him. His plan for your life is, will blow your mind if you'll just submit to his plan for your life. You need to know that he loves you. Man, his love for you is overwhelming in spite of your sin. He says, I love you. Well, why, would you why would you not respond to his love? Just stand or remain standing, whoever you are. And, and, and I, I really... Just wanna say thank you for your courage. That takes a lot of courage for you guys and you ladies to stand up, whoever you are. Beautiful, stand or remain standing. And so the reason we do this publicly is because Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before man, I will acknowledge you before my Father. Amen. So right now your names are being whispered in the ear of the eternal God. That's a beautiful thing. 
It's a beautiful thing. And so if you're ready to come to Christ from your heart to his, and church family, we're gonna support these who are praying out loud. We're gonna say it out loud as well. But this is not just repeating words. This is our heart to him. Say this out loud. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I turn away from them now and to you. I open my heart and I ask you to come in. Be my savior, be my master. Thank you for loving me. And I pray from this day forward, I will be your follower. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated, but let's encourage them as they sit down for that awesome, 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 awesome decision. People say, is it really that easy, Pastor? Listen, it wasn't easy for Jesus. He endured hell, so we would never have to go there. It wasn't easy for Jesus. He makes it easy for us. Repentance towards God, you turn away from your sins. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You accept him as your savior and your Lord.